Today is Palm Sunday, and Palm Sunday marks the beginning of Holy Week. Holy Week is the week that Christians celebrate uh, that leads up to the resurrection of Jesus. So on Holy Week, we gather on Palm Sunday. That, that, that coincides with when Jesus, uh, in, in Jerusalem, came to the city with this huge crowd of people celebrating and cheering him on. Well, they thought that he was going to uh, overthrow the Roman government and free Israel once and for all. That's not the kind of king that Jesus came to be, but that's what they were expecting. So that's what happened on Palm Sunday some 2,000 years ago, the first Palm Sunday. Then we celebrate Maundy Thursday when Jesus gave his disciples the sacrament of Holy Communion. We're going to do that today, so get, have your, uh, your elements, your bread and juice or wine, available to you, and we'll move there uh, just after the message here. Friday. Friday was that dark day when they crucified Jesus outside of the city gates. We call it Good Friday because of what God accomplished through the death of his son. Holy Saturday is traditionally a day of waiting, a day of silence. And then on Easter Sunday, we celebrate that God the Son, though he died for your sins and mine, did not stay dead. And because he rose from the grave, he defeated death once and for all. And you and me and everybody who puts their faith in Jesus will be resurrected just like Jesus was. In fact, the heavens and the earth will be resurrected remade on that day when Jesus, the King, comes again. I want you to imagine what it must have been like on that first Palm Sunday if you were a young boy or a young girl. Since you had been a little child, you had listened to the stories your, your parents and grandparents had told you, on fishing trips or out for walks or at the dining room table. You heard them all. You heard the stories about how God saved this people in a dramatic fashion when they were slaves in Egypt. You heard about uh, Moses on the mountain of God. You heard about these people wandering through the wilderness and coming to the promised land, a land that God had promised to give them. You heard about all this, and your heart was bursting with patriotic pride because you would be told these aren't just any people. This isn't just a story about some other people out there, but this is your story. These are your people. God did this for us, and God promised all this for us, for our people. That's what you would have been taught as a, as a Jewish child in the first century. As you got a little bit older, they would start to tell you now the, the, the not-so-happy stories, too. A stories about a people who rebelled against their God, about a people who refused to follow his commands, about a people who refused to be any different from the world around them, and about a people who, because of that, faced consequences. They faced being distanced from their God. 
they faced exile. And then you would hear, maybe it would be the oldest grandfather or grandmother at the table would tell you, but God is not leaving us in exile. God has promised us through the prophets that he is coming back. They called the return of God, the person who was was gonna bring about this return, Mashiach, or in English we say Messiah. Israel expected a Messiah. And now, here you are, the crowds are screaming and clamoring, they've got palm branches, they're waving them down, this celebrity has come into town, this celebrity named Jesus, you've heard all about him. He's been teaching like no one before. He's silenced the authorities in the temple. He's performed all of these miracles, and some are even calling him Mashiach. Could it be? Could this really be him? Now think of a time in your life when you experienced what could only be called sheer joy, pure, unadulterated bliss. You were so happy, you were bursting. It was like the peace and the joy just swirled around you like a tornado, catching you up into its funnel and transporting you to a place beyond your wildest dreams. Can you remember such a time? For the professional athlete, maybe that's catching the final out of Game 7 of the World Series, and then his teammates rush the field and tackle him, and the crowd goes wild. For a musician, maybe it's the crowd screaming for an encore, or a rousing standing ovation. For a parent, it might be holding that brand new, precious new life in your hands. And just for a moment, feeling that everything is right in the world. The joy just envelops you. And then, it's gone. And then, the stadium lights are switched off and the crowd goes home. And then, That perfect little angel baby turns out to only sleep about an hour at a time. The joy fades. Where did it go? What was it? Was it even real? And how can I get it back? The victory in game seven, it brings the joy. But the victory itself is not the joy. Does that make sense? The ovation, the cheering, the applause of the crowd brings joy, but the applause itself is not the joy. The new baby in your arms brings joy, but the baby herself is not the joy. The same baby a couple days later isn't bringing you the same joy. So what is that stuff, that stuff that we call joy? Where does it come from? It's not the thing, but it comes through the thing, doesn't it? It turns out that the joy, whatever it is, 
is mysterious. I want you to know a few things. First of all, if you have the notes page, it's available on our app. Uh, if not, you can just jot this down anywhere. I want you to know, first of all, that you were created for joy. So write that down. I was created for joy. The Westminster Catechism, and a catechism is an old teaching tool that was used and still is used to teach children the basics of their faith. The Westminster Catechism from the 1400s starts with question number one. It reads like this. The question is, what is the chief end of mankind? Or what's the meaning of life, in other words? The answer is, the chief end of mankind is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. If you're ever tempted to think of God as some stoic figure or angry old man in the sky who never has any fun and certainly doesn't care much about joy, stop it. Stop it because you're wrong. You don't know God. You were made for joy because your God is a God of joy. So the next thing I would write you down that, or have you write down then, is that understandably, we chase things that we believe will bring us joy. The parent chases that joy from their child. They try to extract the same joy from their child that they had on the, the, the baby's uh, first day of life. The, the, the musician chases the joy of the standing ovation. The athlete chases the joy of the championship, right? But then we get it, and the thing that we're chasing, we get it, we achieve it, and sometimes it brings me the joy I was expecting, but more than often, more often than not, it doesn't. And if it does, it's fleeting. It never lasts. It's like, some of you have been getting these out lately. It's like a garden hose, right? It's like a garden hose. The hose is the thing that I think is gonna bring me joy. And so I go and I chase it and I get the thing. And then I look for the joy and there's supposed to be joy inside this thing? And it's supposed to give me a joy? There isn't any. What, what happened? I wasn't really after the hose, was I? I was after the water. The cool, fresh, thirst-quenching water that rushes through the hose. That's, what, that's kind of an image of what we're talking about here. And we chase things that we think will bring us joy, like a hose. But we have no idea really, how to get the water. And a lot of the hoses that we end up finding and chasing and spending our whole lives trying to get end up dry. Today, well, that's the reason, before I tell you into the scripture here, the reason we end up so frustrated by so many of the things that we chase looking for joy is because the only source of joy in all creation is God himself. There is no joy. None. 
outside of God. So today we're talking about two Bible stories. The first one Sarah read to you a little bit ago, the story of Jesus on that first Palm Sunday coming into Jerusalem. The second one I'm going to read to you in just a moment here is the story of the prodigal son. Here at this church, we're, in the, we're to the tail end, actually, of a seven-week series on this story. We're coupling it with a book by Pastor Tim Keller called Prodigal God. We're looking at these two stories today, and one of the things that they have in common is this. In both stories, we see people eagerly setting off on a journey, excited, expecting for their joy tanks to be filled up to overflowing, and in both stories, they end up disappointed. Maybe you can relate. I'd ask you to bow with me and pray, and then we'll go to God's Word. Father, we thank you for your holy word, perfectly preserved by you, God, the Holy Spirit, down to us this day. And it's through your word that we can know you. We can know how to be forgiven and made right with you. We can know what you're like. We can know uh, why bad things are allowed to happen and that you have a purpose in them. We can know what our future is like. We can know what your plan is for the world. We can know so much through your word and only through your word. We thank you for that. We ask you to bless this reading now from this scripture, from the Gospel of Luke, and that you would bless the hearing of it as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my share of the property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with one of the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, and here I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son, Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him, kissed him. 
And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quickly, bring the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now, his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But the older brother was angry and refused to go in, so his father came out and entreated him or begged him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Just like the people of Israel on that first Palm Sunday, this father's two boys both have an idea of what will bring them lasting joy. That idea exists somewhere out there in their imaginations. The younger boy thinks, he thinks of the stories that the travelers coming by his father's estate have told. Maybe he's heard them in the inns or in the restaurants or the shops. Stories of that far off country. Stories of what you could do if you had some money, of the life you could live, of the experience you could have. Out there, he imagines, is where joy is. The elder boy, he looks at the, at the work to be done. He looks at his title. He looks at his status in the family, what's expected of him. And somewhere in his imagination, he sees himself as the kind of man who honors his family, the kind of man who does the right thing. And at some point, that is sure to lead him into the experience of lasting joy. If he only works hard enough, if he only obeys long enough. Both of the boys' imaginations are smashed to bits in just a couple paragraphs. You see, the joy of the father is the only joy in this story. And the one boy finds himself smack dab in the middle of that joy. Why? Because he fell on his knees and he gave up trying to find joy anywhere else. The other boy, the elder son, when the story ends, is still on the outside of the party. He refuses to enter the father's joy because he wants to achieve that party on his own terms. Both of these stories are so powerful because they speak this truth to our hearts. It's a truth that, it, that haunts us, perhaps, but that deep down we know it's right. 
Write this down. This is the fourth and final thing I'll ask you to write down. The things I think will bring me joy will not. The things I think will bring me joy will not. In today's world, everybody is upset. Everybody is on edge. Everybody is going through unprecedented change. What will bring you joy in the midst of a pandemic? Will an end to the pandemic bring you joy? Getting things back to the way that they were a month or two ago so that we can finally leave our houses and go back to whatever it was we were arguing about two months ago? Will that bring joy? No. God has got you here in this situation right now. He's got us here right now for a wake-up call. The things you are chasing with your life are lying to you. The things you are chasing with your life are lying to you. They claim the promise of joy. But they won't deliver. And every single one of them will be taken from you one day. Every single one of them except one thing. One thing that Christians and Christians alone have, that Christians and Christians alone get to celebrate. When Jesus taught his disciples about that one thing, the only thing in all the cosmos that could really bring joy, he reached for the simplest of elements he could find. In the first century, that meant bread, and that meant wine. And at a familiar ceremony, the Passover meal, Jesus did some very unfamiliar things. He took the bread and he got everybody's attention. He gave thanks for it and then he broke it. And then he said, this is my body that is broken for you. Take and eat all of you. In a similar way, he took the cup. And when they had eaten, he gave thanks, and he said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant, poured out for you and for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Beloved, you are invited to taste and see what can really bring you lasting joy. Come to Jesus with your doubts and fears, with your guilt and shame. 
surrender to him as your Lord and your God and trust him. Nothing has changed in this world outside of his control. The Apostle Paul does warn us this is a very special meal because of what it symbolizes. And so don't take part in communion if you're not a believer. And also, don't take part if you're engaging in what you know to be wrong behaviors or an immoral lifestyle. The example Scripture gives, gives is if you're at war or, or in hatred towards your brother or your sister, don't partake of the elements. Instead, go and make it right with your brother or your sister. And then when you come back to the table, Jesus is still here. He's not going anywhere. The bread and the cup will still be here, and it will be all that more special to you. So where you are in your homes, I would invite you to take the elements. If you are seated, sitting by yourself, serve yourself. As I simply say to you, this is the body of our Lord broken for you and the blood of our Lord shed for you. If you are sitting with others, I'm going to serve Austin and Brett up here and they're going to serve me. Serve one another with words similar to what I just used. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. Father, thank you for the gift of your Son and for what Jesus endured in order to bear the curse of our sin so that we wouldn't have to. He knew that curse would destroy us if we had to bear the, the weight, the brunt. And so you decided to make a way that we wouldn't have to. And we thank you, God, for doing that. We do ask you, Lord, once again, to forgive us our sins and to make us be a light in this world, shining in the darkness, pointing others to you, the only source of joy in all the universe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.